This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details. This week, Rob Hahn, the notorious ROB and one of the most well-known and smartest thinkers in the real estate space, joined us to talk about race, zoning, the Newsday article from November 2019, realtors policing themselves, the color of law, the importance of words and vocabulary in real estate, and RPAC, the Realtor Code of Ethics, and the conversations we need to be having. This is part one, and we'll be following up with part two in a couple weeks. We hope you enjoy the conversation and how it fits in with the ongoing conversations we're having. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. It's Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweaty Details. I'm sitting here with Keith Davis and Rob Hahn. Um, Rob, if you don't mind, you know, for those of us in our in our audience who don't know who you are, give us a quick, uh, who are you, Rob? And uh, let's roll from there. Jeez, quick? Uh, who am I? I said quick. Yeah, I'm going to on track today. Who am I? Why am I here? Uh, I'm a uh, I'm a strategy consultant in the real estate space. Um, I tend to work with some of the largest companies and organizations in it. Um, I'm a lawyer by training, but thankfully I never did that. Um, internet startup, um, you know, just a general. I don't know. People call me like uh, shitster, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but we've never we've never once called you a realtor, Rob. <laughs> no, that's true. I've never been a realtor. I don't have a license. Um, I think most people who might know me know me because I write a blog called The Notorious Rob. You know, it's right. uh, really a real estate blog. Um, and it's called that because I'm a fan of Biggie, being that I'm from New York, being that I'm from Long Island, which is going to become relevant. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what I do. And obviously, you know, we've known each other for years. I mean, it's, it's God dang, we're probably going on 10 years. Uh, yeah, more than and, that. Yeah. And I've always admired what y'all been doing. So congrats, by the way, on your recent partnership with that. I think that's pretty Thank cool. You. And, uh, yeah. And when, when this whole, like race thing popped, I think Jim sort of figured like who would be willing to come on a podcast and sort of, uh, you know, hang it all out there. (laughs) We're looking for, we're looking for unabashed guests who will say what they're thinking and not, not, uh, not be cagey at all. And I think we've got that. And spin like crazy. And I think Jim thought of me. So. Well, well, there's that, but I mean, I think it's also, you know, you know, per one of the stories you wrote in November, um, you you are uh, from Long Island. Uh, You, uh, you know, there was a Newsday article that we'll link in the the show notes that Mm -hmm. talked about, you know, realtors and discrimination in the Long Island area. And you wrote a story back then about just what your life was like growing up in that area, but also, you know, today with the ramifications of these agents have been called out publicly. Yeah. Um, and many of them are still working. So if yeah. you don't mind, just sort of get a background on, you said like the street you grew up on was segregated. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so part of the, I guess the fact that, you know, I mean, I guess it's relevant, but, you know, but uh, I'm Korean American, I'm an immigrant. And uh, when, when we came over in the 1980, I guess it was, you know, so, you know, they were like, they had no money, right? And right. I remember very distinctly, my parents lived, we lived in Hempstead, Long Island. And I know, you know, most people probably have no reason to know anything about New York, Long Island. Long Island is like the big giant suburbs of New York City. And most people think of it as like your super rich, lily white, you know, right. uh, mansions. And, you know, it's like Great Gatsby takes place on Long Island, right? So Oyster Bay, you know, man. Yeah, that's what people have an image of. But then I'm like, actually, there are neighborhoods, there are towns in Long Island that are, you know, every bit the urban ghetto problem that, you know, that you imagine. 
And the way I like to say it is public enemy is actually from Hempstead. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I say me and PE, we both come from, you know. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, Hempstead was was very much a, you know, like basically your urban ghetto, you know, situation. Um, and we lived in a housing project, you know, th- those types of things. But I know that they were looking for, you know, looking for houses. And being Asian immigrants, you know, it made me wonder when I found out about Long Island uh, Divided. And that's the name of the story, Long Island Divided. It's an amazing piece of journalism. Uh, and it made me wonder, like, you know, did did we end up in the Hempstead School District simply because my parents were steered that way, right? And one of the things that's really striking, and there's an image, and it's on my blog, uh, I can't remember what I called it, but if you go on Notorious, I think, and just type line and divided, you'll, you'll probably find it. There's an image of a street, I think it's Stewart Street, where on one side is Garden City and on the other side is Hempstead, right? And it's, it's amazing the difference, right? On the one side, you have urban blight, you know, you've got used car, you know, lots. On the other side, you have leaf-lined streets and mansions. And I remember that, right? I remember growing up, you know, I'm on my side of the street and going like, wow, this sucks. And the other side of the street is, you know, cool and shaded and lovely. And, you know, and as a kid, you don't, you don't think about that. You don't, you don't really, you know, think about why is literally one street dividing two different worlds. And you watch Long Island Divided, you know, you start to understand how housing came about. You start to understand certain realities and, you know, and then you realize, right? So I wrote about that and I wrote about like, what are we doing about this? You know, this was this to me, the land divided is, is a giant stain in the industry. It's a giant stain of society, to be honest, but because we're all in the real estate industry and you guys are realtors, you know, it's something that I know really impacts, you know, you all personally. Um, And like you mentioned, the thing that's a little frustrating about all of this is this story comes out and you would think that the response from, the brokerages, the response from the industry would be, you know, shock and horror. And <laughs> be like, we had no idea this sort of thing was going on. But now that we know, we're going to take some action. Right. And as far as I know, you know, if we if the industry has taken action, I don't want, I don't really know what they are. Right. Because the last time I researched, which was for a follow up recently, you know, so maybe a couple of months ago, 33 of the 34 agents that were caught on camera doing shady stuff that were called out are still working and they're right. still realtors as far as I know. Then, you know, that, that's, that's troubling, right? Because and, you, and, you posted, and you posted that update like a month, month and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was recent. Yeah. It was in light of the whole George Floyd thing. Right. You know, when the industry went, you know, like completely out of its mind again, and I started talking about race and race relations and I'm going, okay, well, if we're going to do this, then can we, can we at least, can we at least like just take a look to see what we've done to our own? So what's the Rob? We we you know realtors are you know we have the code of ethics. We vaunt ourselves for policing our own. Right. Um, that doesn't seem to be working. Or you know what? Here's the thing. I don't know if it's working. I don't know if it's not working. What I will say is there's been no news about it. In other words, it isn't as if Long Island Board of Realtors, you know, New York State Association, and the NAR came out and said, we did this thorough investigation, right, into these 34, right, and determined that 33 of them actually were fine. You know, it's just a mis- misunderstanding. Do you know what I'm saying? 
Right. Like it wasn't, we, we don't even have that. We don't have any word of, we've really looked into this. We have, we have no word of anything. The brokers that these realtors work for, it's not like the broker said, hey, we did a thorough internal investigation and we found that this individual was was in the wrong, but you know these others were. It's a misunderstanding. Do you know what I mean like if you're going to absolve somebody, then absolve them? But Rob, right? don't you don't you think? I mean, as as twisted as demented as this sounds, don't you think there's a part of it that says the number, the percentage of agents who were caught on camera doing things that were questionable in the fair housing yeah. line. It was such a high percentage that maybe that gave the brokers the leeway not to do anything about it because clearly yeah. it's it's you know systemic across the entire system and yeah. therefore what's the point of getting rid of these 33? Yeah. It's it, it's instead it's like wow this is everybody we need to address it as a whole. We don't need to get rid of these agents but we do we, you know, I, I'm just wondering. I mean, if it had been 30 percent or 20 percent, I think you could get rid of those 20 percent agents. But at this point, how do you even begin to address it if you think it's happening with 85 percent of your agents across the entire community? It's a great question, but I don't know that this story talked about what percentage of agents engaged in this. Right. right. What I remember right. reading was that there were two companies, and I'm trying to remember off the top of my which two they were. Two actual companies, none of whose agents engaged in any steering. Right, and I think Corcoran was one of them, if I if I'm not mistaken. There was one other, um, but they did say like a bunch of the other firms engaged in it because some of their agents did. Now the other thing they didn't say was every you know 85 percent of the agents engaged in steering it. So I don't know what what that looked like on a percentage basis, right? right? But that's a great question in a way, right? Because again, if I'm a broker, like let's you guys are brokers, let's flip yeah. it around, right? Say one of your agents get caught on camera, right? Treating black uh, buyers differently than white buyers, okay? And this now hits uh, your local newspaper, right? What would you do about it? Well, but see, here's here's the great thing is that if you what you just said is if one of your agents got caught on camera, it's mm-hmm. a no brainer. You get rid of one of your agents. If, however, sixteen of your agents are caught. Then, then you have to sit back and, well, frankly, you fire the principal broker. Is my right? I mean, because it's it's my, you know, I'm the broker for for Ness. These guys are my responsibility in Charlottesville. Their actions are at least legally, um, and and I think Jim would say I, that it's my responsibility. And so, yeah, I mean, but I think the question is, where do you, you know, do you just say I'm going to get rid of 35 percent of my agents? No, you do, you can't. You instead have to you have to do something that is bigger more public and more overreaching across all of your agents, assuming it's happening everywhere and that everybody needs to be retrained. So the question then isn't, did you get rid of the 33 agents that were were caught on camera? The question is, what have those firms done to retrain and what have those firms done in other communities, assuming this is not just a Long Island problem? Because this is not just a Long Island problem. I, so, yeah, I, I agree with you, you know, for a certain respect. The issue I have is, I think the first thing you would do is to find out, is this one bad apple? Like you said, right? If it's one one bad apple, then you get rid of the one bad apple. Right. If it's every single agent you've got, then yeah, <laughs> then you probably have a different different order question. And to me, the first thing you got to do as a brokerage is find out, right? Is find out, investigate. <clears throat> like you know, is this to your point? Is this one bad person, one bad apple, or is this a failure of training? Is this a systemic problem? Like what what do we have here? 
<clears throat> and I think what bothers me a little bit about the response so far is we've not seen any of that. We've not seen any brokerage, any realtor association, anybody anywhere in the industry do that self-examination right? and say, hey, in light of Long Island Divided, we were all shocked and horrified. We investigated and determined that this was actually a small minority of agents um, and we can, we're going to deal with those individuals and send a clear message to everybody, this is not acceptable. Or we've investigated, found that we had a real failure in our training system. Because mm-hmm. the fact is, the line divided go, went into the training as well. They talked right. about, you know, sort of the failures in fair housing training that was happening at the board level, right? So, you know, they're, they're, that was never addressed. You know, so I'm saying, just at least if we're going to say that there's a problem, don't we have to start with, here's a problem, we're investigating the problem, you know, and tell the public, Right. This is sort of what we're doing to restore faith and trust that the agent that they're meeting with is not secretly, you know, making sure you end up in the Hispanic neighborhood. Like that's that's a real that that to me is something that needed to happen. And as of yet, I haven't seen anything like, well, you know, it's it's now been, uh, I guess, about 10 months since this came out. I think it was October, November is when it it released. Um, it was certainly still a huge conversation when we got to, to Inman in January. So it was somewhere in that late fourth quarter kind of time period. You know, the question would be number one is Newsday continuing to do this research and are they continuing to, to blind test and are they going to come up with a one year right. later follow up, which would be right. fantastic. But I got to say, the other piece, Robin, just to shift this a little bit, is that, you know, three months after this comes out, we're in the midst of, of the <laughs> pandemic and very quickly into George Floyd and very quickly into yeah. a much higher movement of Black Lives Matter. And yeah. now books like Color of Law that that many people had read, but certainly had not become as widespread as it is now. I mean, I think you right. know, most most realtors who are paying attention to the Black Lives Matter movement um, have read or know about Color of Law. Mm-hmm. And so your story of the dividing line in your neighborhood that that had the used car lots on one side and the, the leaf line streets on the other, um, I think people are starting to understand how those towns came about, yeah. um, how sundown towns became uh, part of the Midwest culture for for so long. Yeah. Um, and I think the question then becomes, you know, you're saying no one's doing anything publicly. I actually would argue that over the last few months with George Floyd, that real estate communities and real estate companies are beginning to have a very open conversation. I can't say that they're retraining. I can't say that the Long Island firms are are jumping on this maybe the way that you'd like to see it happen. But But don't you feel like there's at least now a conversation going on in real estate that's that's very genuine. I'm not saying it's effective yet. I'm not. I'm not arguing that we're fixing things quickly. But, but don't you feel like this is now re- really a, a conversation? Well, I mean, based on the fact that the three of us are on this podcast having this conversation, I think uh, I'd say, yeah, we are. We are starting to have genuine conversations. Um, you know, I have, I have some issues in terms of where that conversation has gone so far. But, you know, like to some extent you have to say, who the hell am I, right? I'm, I'm just this random guy out here, right? You know? um, well, let me uh, step yeah. back for a sec, Rob. You know, I think that it's, it's you know, in your, in your post the other day, I think the one thing that most realtors don't have any idea about is that, you know, I'm reading from your post now, NAR used its, its political lobbying prowess to oppose the Fair Housing Act of 1968. Right. That's and why? And black Americans could not join NAR at, at all until 1961, That's which right. is 
I would say for 85% of realtors that hearing that is going to be news to them. Yeah. And you know, you know, should, as I wrote in that post, you know, I really look, my blog is not, it's, it's an industry blog, right? right. For the most part, you know, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of interest in getting into these really difficult social justice type issues. I, I don't, you know, and no, I, but but I think but my point is, you know, does NAR have a responsibility as part of our realtor indoctrination, if you will, yeah, to teach our history to a certain degree? Because it's easy to say don't dis- don't discriminate. Yeah, so, I think that anybody can agree with that. But I yeah. think understanding how we got to that point yeah. is a critical part of of you know being a realtor, and knowing sort of from where we came. Yeah, yeah, and you know what, Jim, I think you you and Keith really ought to be answering that because you guys are the dues paying realtors, right? Phone, right. Like, do you think NAR? Do you think your association should be doing this? You know, well, I, mean, I, I think I think that NAR, you know, and I've advocated for many years that the the training, the standards, et cetera, need to be higher to become a realtor. Sure. It's, 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 right now, it's, it's a matter of paying your dues and sure. getting MLS access. But I think that they're, they're, it's incumbent upon NAR and local and state to, to have an understanding of how to communicate where we came from. Sure. And sure. know that you know, we, you know, our, our industry played a pivotal role in rending America apart in many ways. From the zoning zoning conversation, from discrimination perspective, yeah, to black, need- uh, yeah, I mean, it's blockbusting. It's everything. It's everything, right. absolutely. And you know, fact of the matter is, wh- where the industry needs to head, I think, where where the difficult work begins is, I think it's actually still pretty easy. In other words, you know, I don't know what the process is, but let's say you guys got a hold of Bob Goldberg, right, and say, hey, as as dues paying realtors. Not only is dues paying realtors, leaders in the community, you know, like I know you guys have been involved with the realtor movement for many, many years, right? Um, you know, as I, I think, Jim, weren't you like chair of RPAC for a while and, and, and stuff? So, well, you know, you guys local, have yeah. your bona fides, you know, you guys have proven, right? But, you know, if, if you guys then, you know, locally out of Charlottesville, you know, out of Virginia started going, moving up the chain saying, hey, guys, you know, we should start training our people about our history, right? Right. To me, I actually think that's pretty easy to do. And I think, to NAR's credit, it isn't as if they've deep-sixed this, right? And it isn't as if they try to sweep all this history under the rug, right? right? Like most of the stuff that I found for that post, and the reason why I wrote it is because I figured everyone knew. <laughs> you know? I just figured that we, we all knew, right? Like this is common knowledge. And it turned out, like you said, and it took a friend of mine who is a realtor leader to say, you know, what are you talking about? Like why... You know why? Uh, why do you why do you keep saying like if you're going to cancel, you know, master out of master bedroom, you would probably right. need to stop using the racist term realtor. And I was like, really? Like you didn't know about like, no black realtors allowed until 1960? You didn't know? It's like no, we had no idea. Yeah, so that's why I wrote it just to for that purpose. Um, so I mean, to 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 that point, you know. Yeah, you know, we, we're seeing a—I uh, don't know if it's a movement or what have you—but the conversations about removing, you know, racist terms from right. real estate. Right. You know, but they're I, not you know, racist. <laughs> no, I mean, I would say that you know, it, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day. I'll link it up. You know, but in in the tech world, they used master and slave for years, yep. and yeah. now they are. For, I mean, just when I did tech work twenty years ago, we were using that uh, just as a yeah. matter of course. And yeah. we they, and big companies are removing that from their vernacular now, but I would say that you know master, removing master from the, the from the bedroom terminology is, you know, it's not a leap forward. 
but I think it's a way to shift conversation a little bit. Um, but it's yeah, not going to do what we need to do. Well, and, and I think, but I think, Jim, what you just said is exactly right. You're not the fact that we may call an owner's suite that instead of a master bedroom. It doesn't change anything about the world. It doesn't make somebody feel less oppressed when they're walking through a house. But it does raise the awareness within the realtor community that there are many things that we don't talk about or that we, we should be talking about rather that we've been ignoring. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll take it one that has nothing to do with, with the race movement, but, you know, in, in my first week of, of training of being a realtor, there was a, uh, two guys who came in just to talk about vocabulary that we use as realtors and things that we started talking about things, you know, we use technical terms instead of terms that the general public understands that we tend to talk about, you know, Oh, this is a property. It's not a property. It's a home, right? We, we, we get into what kind of product is your client looking for? But the reality is our prop, our clients don't think they're looking for product. They're looking for, for housing. They're looking, you know, there's, there's this whole piece. And so I think changing the, the vocabulary, it does raise awareness of what are we doing and why are we doing it? And what should we, who should we be aware of? Um, and you know, there were, there were, um, there was a, there was a person I, I listened to recently who was, was talking, I'm trying to remember the exact phrasing of the question that she said, instead of asking where you are from, asking more of a question of kind of what drives people, what makes, what makes you who you are type questions. And I thought, you know, it is an interesting question that if somebody's coming from Boston, does that instantly create a, an idea of, oh, someone who's used to a more densely populated area than Charlottesville is? Or, you know, what is it that, that we draw from these conclusions of area? And I think raising awareness of how our questions are, are perceived or the words we use, I think it's huge. I think for our vocabulary is incredibly important that we're, we're focused on. I mean, it changes yeah, everything. I, I think those all fundamentally are, it's, it's good that we're having conversations. So let's, let's start this way. Here's my take on where things are. I think the vast majority of realtors are not doing anything wrong. I don't think they're steering clients. I don't think they're racist. I don't, you know, I just don't. Like, I think most, the vast majority, like, I don't know. And again, no studies ever been done. But I'd say the vast majority of realtors are just, you know, trying to serve their customers. And you guys know it's hard enough to get a live one, right? (laughs) Like, why would you? Why would you not show them every house that's available for sale? It's not right. It's hard as hell to come by. So I don't think we're seeing anything like that. In terms of the vocabulary thing, look, I, I don't see a problem with you know being more sensitive about you know to people's backgrounds or whatnot. The issue with what we've done with the master bedroom thing is not only does it not change anything, but but it's actually led to a, a worse place, right? And the, the example that I used in both both times I talked about it is John Legend tweeted about that decision, right? right. To 13 and a half million followers who maybe up until that moment did not think white realtors aren't going to show me all the homes. Now they do, right? Now they do. And John Legend then tweeted out as, as evidence like, hey, by the way, here's the story from Long Island about uh, racial steering. And I'm like... Okay, so that that, uh, that worked out well, I think, from a PR standpoint, right? So here's, you know, realtor associations saying, hey, we want to be sensitive because of Black Lives Matters and George Floyd. We want to be sensitive, so we're going to remove the term master, right? <laughs> Which is right. something that no black person anywhere in America is ever, 
as took to the streets to protest, we we demand removal of master from master bedroom. No one. They're 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 protesting police brutality. They're protesting things that matter. So we go out and do this like virtual signaling thing, and like thirteen point thirteen and a half million followers now go. Oh yeah, you know that uh, that nice white realtor that I know. They're actually racist. I mean, this is. I don't know how you have a worse public relations disaster. I guess. So the way I kind of see it is, if we're going to do things, then we probably ought to do things that matter. Right, that make a difference. If we're not, that, that's fine. You want to just go, we, we're no longer, we're, we're going to change the name of plantation shutters. Okay, like, do whatever the hell you want. But understand, that's not helping a single black family move into a, a house. It's not helping anybody do anything. You know, so I don't know. I mean, we'll, 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 we'll figure it out. But I know where my recommendations are. I think, I think we do have a very important role to play. Because we've had such an important role in creating the racial division, right? there's no doubt about that. The historical record is pretty clear. Like you said, the color of law is, you know, is been out there. Uh, it's not like this is a secret. It isn't as if it's a secret that zoning laws are racist. It isn't as if there's a secret that, you know, for, I don't know, uh, probably for most of the 20th century, you know, post uh, uh, after the 13th Amendment. You know, I mean, there's been a concerted effort to quote, keep blacks in their place. I mean, that none of those are debatable, right? So the only question is, what do we do about it going forward? To the, to the zoning perspective. I mean, I think that there, there's a, an argument to make, to be made that removing zoning, uh, opens up more opportunities to everybody. Right. You know, you, you've seen the arguments recently in, you know, Minneapolis and a couple other localities that are and there's a bill in Virginia that failed last year, I think, that would have removed single family housing uh, as the as the primary uh, housing type. And I think that that exposes you know, or that opens up more opportunities. But is that something that and I'll put it to you before I give my take? You know, is that something that um, we should be advocating for from a realtor perspective to, to remove to remove yep. zoning? Yeah, so I wrote a long post about this, um, you know, sort of talking about, okay, so law and divided happen. Are we serious about race? If we are, then realtors, because realtors are the most powerful housing lobby in the, in the, uh, in the country, then there are two things that we have to talk about. One is eliminating anti-growth zoning. So not all zoning, right? Because, you know, there's a big difference between we're going to allow factories and that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about right. anti-growth zoning, things like yes minimum lot sizes and you know that that sort of thing that's one and then the other one we actually have to really think about is local school, school districts and what's called local levy school funding right as long as those two things remain and they were put into place for racist purposes then we we have we have a real challenge in our hands so you know i i believe so but let's face it i'm not a realtor so the way I would like to do it is I'd like to flip it around on you guys. You guys are realtors. You guys are realtor leaders. You're brokers. Do you think we need to eliminate anti-growth zoning laws, anti-growth environmental laws, and get rid of local school districts? Um, okay. <laughs> so, so, so what I, well, I'm sorry. I lost my audio here. Yeah. <laughs> what, I, what I'd say, Rob, is that, you know, we're, we're 
we're coming up on a half an hour and I don't want to suddenly stop this in the middle of it. I think what I would like to suggest is if you've got time, we'd love to have you back for a second visit when we can really delve into schools. Cause I think schools is going to be more than a two minute, three minute conversation. Yeah. And we also want to talk, we also had on our list of things we wanted to talk about today were RPAC and yeah. other than acknowledging that Jim used to be the, the chair of our local RPAC, we're definitely not going to have time to hit that one. But I do think, you know, in terms of, of the, the zoning question, um, yeah. you know, the reality is, is that minimum lot sizes, having ADUs, having, um, you know, excel, accessory dwelling units, having the ability to offer socioeconomically diverse um, offerings within individual neighborhoods rather than the gated community of the 70s, 80s, mm -hmm. um, or 80s, 90s, probably, you, you know, that I think is about opportunity of housing. That is exactly where we've been conversing about the Long Island question. This is about opening up and allowing people to, of of all different persuasions, you know, not just yeah. class, but to, to live in a community and, and be able to be a single community. And mm -hmm. I think that's unbelievably valuable. And I think it's, you know, um, when we look at new neighborhoods that are popping up in our, in our markets, ADUs are more and more commonly allowed, um, right. and they're being zoned into the plan unit development specifically to have um, socioeconomic diversity. And you know, if you go back to the architecture of Andres Duaney and and you know DPZ, which is out of Miami, who did most of the new traditional neighborhood development work early on, they were the the lead architects and developers on those programs. Mm -hmm. You know, their their process was to allow people um, who were socioeconomically disadvantaged to live among people who were not to be able to instead of isolation. It was it was how do you share that community? So yeah, I mean this is this is a big part of what new urbanism is. It's what traditional neighbor design is. It's mm -hmm. um, and I and I think it's hard. I think it's incredibly difficult to see how not turning older neighborhoods into that same zoning openness isn't going to have yeah. the same positive attribute. These are the neighborhoods that people want to live in right now. People yeah. want to live in places where you can walk to a to a neighborhood restaurant where you can yeah. have you know, where there are tiny cottages and larger houses on, on lots next door to each other. This is, this yeah. is where, this is where our culture wants to live. So I, I'm not seeing it as a, as a, I mean, I, I trust me, I understand that there's opposition to it. I'm not saying this is yeah. a universal thought, but yeah, I'm, I'm a hundred percent behind you on it. Yeah. So, but that to me, and again, we can, we can keep talking about it because these issues aren't going away. They're not, they're not going anywhere. And that this is the most important thing that I think realtors have to tackle which is something like, you know, anti-growth zoning. There's a huge difference in the market responding one way and the government preventing it. So the way I look at it is real simple. Somebody wants, to, some developer wants to put in a 300-unit multifamily housing unit, rentals, in a traditional, whatever, beautiful downtown, you know, like just the older neighborhoods that are really desirable housing. You know and I know that the local neighborhoods, neighbors are going to throw a fit. You know and I know that nimbyism is a real thing. Right. And these, you know, uh, people who are otherwise like we are all behind BLM and we're all about race and I'm reading white fragility and this and that. When you go to them and say, OK, we're going to put in a 300 unit apartment building right in your neighborhood. All of a sudden, you know, they're going to be like, wait a minute. I don't know if that's what I had in mind. And the I issue see. is realtors are the most powerful housing lobby in the country. And at the national level, at the state level, at the local level. Right. 
if the Charlottesville City Council is contemplating something like this and the Charlottesville realtors say we're not for it, guess what? That thing is not going forward. These are just like realities we have to agree to. Right? Realtors are incredibly powerful. So the issue of which direction will realtors go in terms of policy is actually really relevant to this whole national discussion we're having about race and opportunity and, and so on. And, uh, and I don't, I, let, let's put it this way. I would not fault the realtor saying this is not something we want to support because our clients, you know, they live in those uh, areas. Their biggest investment is in those homes. We don't want to de- devalue their properties. I have no oh, opinion. so Rob, Rob, you've, you've just given me that perfect opening then if you, you know, to say that we're doing it because that's where our clients live. I think the that's question right. is not, is it where our clients live? The question is, it, where is it that all of home buyers who have who want to have opportunities of home ownership? What should we be protecting? Are we protecting our past clients or our future clients? And that's I right. think that's that's the huge question, and that's the one I want to talk about with our packet uh, on a that's longer right. conversation. That's right. And this is what Jim brought up. You know, so is the essentially the issue is the code of ethics, the realtor code of ethics talks about three duties, right? Duties to your clients, duties to the public, and duties to one another. And really, the conversation needs to happen within the industry: is which of those duties are the most important? Because again, I have nothing but respect for realtors to say clients come first, then the public. Right. So to the extent that we want to encourage more diversity, great, but I can't do it at the expense of my clients. That is a perfectly fine position to have. You know what I'm saying? But you, this is a conversation that needs to happen within the realtor circles, is my point. I, I would I would say that, you know, just as a quick you know, thought of how I rank those. It's not that I rank them in terms of importance. I think there is a moment in your life where each one is the most important. When you are involved inside of a transaction, inside of a negotiation, inside of waiting for closing, it is your client that you're looking out for. Mm -hmm. But I think when we're talking about how do we do our job, it's about protecting the general public and and the community. And I think the way in which we do that is is for mutual respect for one another and, and honest dealings. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's kind of the way I look at those three. Right. And then this is going to come to a head when you talk about should RPAC, <laughs> should the realtor political lobbying organization push for eliminating local zoning and eliminating local school funding? And that, Rob, is part two. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that we're, yeah, I think that that's where we need to have a, a longer conversation that's specifically for that, because I think that is one of, you know, I, I can't think of the other two, but one of the top two or three conversations that we as a realtor community need to have. And I think that part of that needs to be in a space like this. Mm-hmm. And I think the part of that needs to be in the, not the closed doors, but the doors of NAR and in our case, VAR and CAR. Yeah. about how we as a realtor community need to understand and address these things. That's right. Be- because it's not something that, you know, it's not something that's going away on its own. I think that it, it's it, part of it is, um, is framing the conversation and the points first, but also educating each other and ourselves individually about, again, how we got to where we are, but what we need to do, what kind of society we need to be advocating for. I, think that- I, I completely agree. And and I think this is something realtors absolutely need to do. Because here's the thing. I, I remember, you remember, you guys remember that oh, years ago, I did this thing called uh, Hear It Direct. 
Yep. When we went and spoke to actual consumers and did all this stuff. One of the things that really resonated with me, there was a seller, and I know we're running out of time here, but um, who talked about how he was one of the few sellers who understood realtors, who liked realtors. You know? And what he said was, what you guys do is not just buy and sell houses. And he said, what you guys do is you create communities. And it totally resonated with me. So given that that's the case, I do think that this is, you know, it's definitely one of the most important conversations and debates that need to happen within realtor circles and understanding that people want to have different takes on it. And this is not, you know, politics got so divided. This is not one of those things where you need to be at each other's throats. This is a, a kind of a technical right issue. It's kind of a, a professional issue where we can have reasoned, you know, passionate debate, you know, with different perspectives around what do we do about this? Right. You know, we, have, we recognize that a lot of the policies, housing policies that are in place today have a clearly racist past. We know this. It's, there's not, it's not debatable. Okay, what do we do about it going forward? Because we're not racist anymore. You know, it, it's not like, well, most of us aren't. Something like local, like it's hard to say local school districts are racist, you know. Like, it's, it's hard to say that. They're, they're really just about families wanting the best for their kids. You know, but then how, what do we do about this going forward? I, that's the conversation that really needs to happen. And I do think it needs to happen within realtor circles and around the idea of where do we put our incredibly powerful and efficient political yep. organization. And that could be the part two. But look, I, I hope it's not just the three of us. I hope that conversation is like 300 people. You know? Right. <laughs> But I think I think the part of it's going to be I think that that's a that is one an ideal place for us to to segue to part two for and for our next session when we record in a couple of weeks. But it's also I think it's something that you know it, it, these conversations have to start. And I think that part of it is understanding what other associations and brokers and people are having this within the space, yeah. and, and collaborate together to make this you know make it a better better environment for everybody. Yeah. Um, but the school thing is something that is. Uh, yeah, it's a hard conversation. Um, Keith, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to just call this a call this a day. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, Jim, I don't know exactly what we expected having Rob on to think that we would keep things short. Rob no. is not really known for his short blog posts, um, so this this just is perfectly fitting. This is awesome. We, we, you know, like next time we do this, we should just plan like a Joe Rogan style and go two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, well, we will definitely we will do this again. Um, I do want you know I want to just plant the seed. I think um, I would like to I'd like to meet again in the next couple of weeks and do another round of this. And let's really get into the school choice. Let's get into how districting happens and and what its implications are for for future generations and what that education opportunity means. Um, And let's let's talk about RPAC. Let's talk about uh, you know the the difference between funding um, and supporting of of lobbying efforts versus the supporting of candidates who we believe might have um, the best interest of the realtor or the public in in mind when they're going forward. And I think that's mm-hmm. those those that's the different question that I need that I want to talk about with RPAC. Love it. Does that All sound right, good? Well, yeah. Just let awesome. me know. All right. All right, guys. Rob, thank you. Keith, thank you. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening to with the details. And uh, stay tuned for part two of what could be a fantastic and not brief conversation on some pretty heady issues we have. <laughs> Rob, right. thanks a ton, man. Enjoy your, enjoy your vacation. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs>